Welcome to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram, where we talk all things leadership, change, and transformation. And hello, everybody. Uh, it is absolutely fabulous to be back with you in this Conversations of Change um, with Dr. Jen Fram. Today, I have an extraordinary privilege. I'm bringing to you a change chat with none other than Dr. Helen Bevan, the Chief Transformation Officer of the NHS. Um, I have been a fangirl for quite some time of Helen because um, seriously, in terms of longevity in the system, ability to influence. Um, and, I, you know, I was thinking about how I would introduce Helen and I, I was thinking, well, yes, she is a thought leader, but she's a thought doer. Like she actually does the work, which she has so many extraordinary examples of, of having done brilliant work. Um, she leads the Horizons team um, of the NHS, um, has been responsible for really remarkable stuff. The NHS Change Take won, has won awards um, from the Harvard Business Review, McKinsey, and just consistently builds and builds and builds on the community. Helen, welcome to Conversations of Change. Thank you, Jen. Really looking forward to our conversation. Yes, super. Now, Helen, um, the listenership of this uh, podcast is beyond the UK. Can I just get you to introduce um, or tell us a little bit about your role and the NHS so we can set some context for the stuff that you've done? Um, absolutely, Jen. So, so I work as part of the National Health System or National Health Service in England, and it's the, the biggest public health system in the world, um, uh, the, the biggest publicly funded health system in the world. And we have about 1.3 million staff, and we provide care for 54 million people. So just to kind of get a sense of the scale of it, every 24 hours, the National Health Service in England and provides care to a million people. So I'm an internal change agent in a, in a, in a very big and uh, busy healthcare system. And I work in a, in a team inside the National Health Service in England, which is called the Horizons Team. And I'm, my job is the Chief Transformation Officer. And the role of the Horizons Team is to support um, large-scale change across the, the health and care system. So, you know, we get involved in, in lots of projects and programs which are about improving the way that health and care um, gets delivered. And, you know, very often we're, we're working on very big projects with, you know, hundreds of staff, um, uh, hundreds of patients, um, yeah, just doing change on a very big scale or supporting change on a very big scale. That is massive. Like, I, I'm trying to put it in context, uh, certainly in Australia, and I'm really struggling. <laughs> so um, it, is, it is really massive to get your head around. Helen, can you take me, back, um, take me back to that time when you first got an inkling that change was going to be your thing? What was happening? Well, Jen, I've never done any other job apart from being a change agent. Mm. So, you know, sometimes, you know, people who have careers in the National Health Service in England, they started as a clinician or they started as a manager. I mean, I started as a change agent. 
So I, my first degree was in social science mm -hmm. and always had an interest in, in people and systems and, you know, uh, uh, what, makes, what makes things tick. And, and also, you know, had a real sense of um, you know, wanting to, uh, to, to contribute to, to making things better. And, you know, having a sense of health as a right and, and healthcare um, uh, as a right and, and you know very kind of driven by uh, by my own values and wanting to do roles where where I could contribute I guess lots of people say that yeah so you know I, I started I mean I am um, I've always worked in public service so I started in in local government I worked in education and I worked in healthcare now for for um, for nearly 30 years Mm. If, if again, I'm, I'm curious. You came in as a change agent. What, what was the job description like? Did it actually were they advertising for change agent? Did it, you know, how were you characterised? So my, uh, my, my first job um, after graduating was working in the housing department at Sheffield City Council in England, and it was a. You know, um, uh, kind of um, administrative organizational role but within about three or four months I'd been seconded from that job and um, to work as a full-time change agent and uh. um, with, with one or two exceptions and um, uh, uh, that's what I've always done you know and even even um, once or twice earlier in my career when I was in mainstream jobs very quickly I got moved into jobs of, of being a change agent um, and, and you know it's interesting. So when I when I joined the National Health Service, um, it was on a scheme for people who were senior leaders in other sectors. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that I would be on a fast track uh, scheme to become a chief executive in the NHS. But I I never became a chief executive because as soon as I got in a role where you know I was working in quality improvement and change, I I never left the job. <laughs> so you know that's what I've I've uh, I've done the whole time since and you know if you look at my career it is is utterly consistent in time mm. in terms of the kinds of uh, the, you know the, the kinds of things that I've done uh, and the and you know the, the ways that I've done it it's I, I find that really interesting from the perspective of a lot of people ask um you know how do I get into change work how do I get into this and I always say look just be the change yeah. You, know, you, you don't need a formal role, just start being the change and people seek you out. They see that and, you know, the roles open up. So it's a, it's a brilliant example of that. Um, so thank you for that. Now, it's, um, it's been 10 years since you co-authored The Power of One, The Power of Many. Um, I'll put a link to that in the post notes that follow yeah. up with this. I'm curious, what do you know now that you didn't know then with respect to leading transformation? Um, can I say a few things, um, Jen, about yeah. the power of one, the power of many, um, first? So um, I got my first big national job in the, in the NHS in England in, uh, uh, in 1998, actually uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. And um, uh, my, my first big job nationally was about um, leading and supporting big programs of, of change to reduce waiting times for, for patients and over you know the, the course of quite a few years 
um, the big focus of my work was around you know big big national programs, big national programs to reduce waiting times, big national programs to improve care for people uh, uh, with who needed cancer services, uh, big programs for people uh, with with heart disease, and and, and so on. Mm. And what I learned over a period of time, or what I kind of understood, was. Whereas, you know, at one point I thought, you know, big, big nationwide programs were the answer. No, um, you know, coordinating um, change in very programmatic ways across the whole country. Kind of what I learned over a period of time was where where the real magic was, was when when um, people often at the point of care, the front line of care, where clinicians work with, with, with patients, Actually, if we started to to um, support and organise and give power um, to people at the at the point of care, that was where the, the real magic happened. Mm. So, what what happened? I mean, you know, very early on was um, was I was able to collaborate with people who who and um, could see the potential of bringing of bringing social movement thinking into into health and healthcare improvement and at that at that point in time you know when you thought about um, change management or or program management and you thought about social movement thinking they were two very very distinct approaches they came from different academic traditions and they they you know operated in very different camps and, and people who, who worked in big programmatic change would never think about about social movement thinking, and people that used social movement thinking and were activists would never think about about programmatic management. And I think you know what we what we've seen over um, over a period of time is actually the the bringing of different ideas and um, and different traditions um, together. So you know, in terms of so the power of one, the power of many. Um, when, when that was produced, it was about you know um, bringing um, social movement ideas to health and healthcare improvement, which was pretty revolutionary at the time. Yeah, I, and I think you know what I've what I've learned since is that um, that that those kind of ideas are, um, are 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 really you know some of the um, some of the ways that we um, we need to be thinking. I think one of the kind of key things that, that I've learned over a period of time is uh, it's not like you know um, one or the other. We we have to we have to work in ways that are about um, dealing with um, with with tensions and complexities and two different um, ideas often you know at the at the same time. And I think. You know, we need programmatic approaches because if we don't have programmatic approaches, then you know, how can we make change happen at a very big scale, and um, for uh, you know, for a lot of people? And at the same time that we need programmatic approaches, we need emergent um, approaches that that start in very um, that in very you know frontline ways that start um, on the fringe and start with the activists. And and I think you know one of the kind of key things that that I've learned is. That it, it isn't one or the other. Actually, you know, we, we need to work with them um, with, with both at the same time. And I think understanding um, how we work in, in ways, particularly with large scale change, that are about you know complexity and 
contradiction and paradox and polarity and an understanding that very often there isn't one uh, right answer but there's 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 multiple answers I think um uh, yeah that's some of the key things I've learned yeah look and it resonates so strongly for me because I think um as as you'd be aware I am very very comfortable with the social movement concepts in change yeah. and I find that I get caught in this space of, you know, people who are really pro-social movement and community-focused, you know, snarling, change management is dead, you know, project management is, is this. It's, you know, it's really derogatory, the conversations that yeah. come out of that field. And yet they're also bemoaning, why am I not making traction? Why can't I yeah. get anybody to listen to me? And then you have this, you know, equivalent bemusement from the other side around these people who seem to be full of ideas but actually, you know, don't actually do anything. And I'm like, look, the answer is the two. You've got to bring the two together. Um, you you can't. or you, It's not that you can't. It's just there's so much more power in using change management and program management with your community focus. I think, Jen, that's absolutely right. And, you know, you mentioned the word power. Mm. And, and, again, when I think about all the frameworks and, and models and approaches that I use in my practice, um, I think that one of the ones that I find most helpful is, if you like, the tension of the paradox between what is called old power and new power, which is a, which is a model from Jeremy Hyman's... Hyman's and Tim's, yeah. And Tim's and Henry Tim's, yeah. And I, I think that's you know incredibly helpful. And, and particularly in the health and care system, we work in in a system you know very often that is that is driven by old power, which is about formal authority. You know, it, it's very often you know top down or change cascaded um, you know, uh, through a system. And very often we're commanded to do things, and it's about. Um, it's very transactional often, you know, yeah. uh, uh, projects and programs. It's about systems and structures. It's about governance. It's about um, holding people to account. Yeah. And increasingly, you know, we see a world of new power, um, which is about, you know, people coming together with a with a common purpose. It's open. It's it's shared. Yeah. And, and the thing is that we have to work um, with both. I don't think that old power will be going away, certainly in my system, anytime soon. But no. we see this, this layer of new power coming on the top, which creates all um, all kinds of opportunities. And, um, you know, we, we have to work with both. And I mean, I see so many kind of new power activists. I see community leaders. Mm. I see cl clinical entrepreneurs who come up with amazing ideas. But because they don't know how to navigate the old power system, you know, their, their ideas don't get very far. Mm. I also see lots of leaders, formal leaders in our system, who try and make very big change happen and um, by driving things through in old power ways, and that doesn't work either. You know, mm. I think we, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have to work with both. And I would say that most of my practice um, now as a change agent is, is, a, is about operating in that very difficult space between old power and new power and, and you know, part of a big formal system but mm. trying to work in ways that are very flexible and and um, and, and agile brilliant so, you know, i mean one of the, yeah one of the projects i'm working with now is um, is a project called um, hashtag project a 
and it's a project with with frontline ambulance staff and um and you know, we're working with 13 ambulance services across the, uh, you know the whole of the uk and um it's about you know um, getting ideas and and then um uh, and learning from the experience of of, um, of frontline ambulance colleagues, and, and trying to make those ideas uh, uh, work across across the, the the whole system, and you know it's been it's been pretty amazing. And mm-hmm. um, uh, with this project, we we um, we had you know an ideas channel, we had lots of tweet chats. We uh, we had thirty one thousand um, interactions with our um, with our change process. Mm. And, uh, and we've we've uh, we've got down now to uh, to five key areas that we're we're working with across uh, across the country, and and and, and more than ten percent of um, of all the ambulance staff in the country have have um, you know contributed directly and have been part of um, of Project A. But you know, at the heart of it, it isn't just about new power. It isn't just about working with frontline staff. It's also about working with the the formal leaders who have the authority. Um, uh, and um, and getting their support and their leadership and their backing, um, you know, um, to this. I think when we set when we set up Project A and we were asked to work on it, a lot of people thought, oh, this is a new power movement. It's just about frontline staff um, yeah. and getting their ideas. But we couldn't make the changes that we're making, um, and you know, taking the brilliant ideas from so many of our frontline colleagues if we didn't also have the backing. Of, of um, the leaders in the formal system, we have we have to work with both. Hmm. Um, just a, a, I'm struck by thirty one thousand pieces of data. <laughs> do, yeah. do you have data scientists data scientists on your on your teams? How are you processing that much contribution? Um, we we in um, in my team in the Horizons team, we don't have any um, um, formal formal um, data analysts, but we, we all do data analytics. It's part of our job. Mm. So um, the first thing I'd say is that in terms of social media, there are so many great analytics packages that you know that that um, that we work with that give us that give us brilliant data, and we um, we also work with a number of crowdsourcing platforms that again you know um, give us give us great data so um so we don't have to do a lot of analysis ourselves and we work with platforms and systems that that give us the analytics brilliant brilliant um in your you know i think building on the conversation around new power and old power um here in australia we've just had the um the Netflix release, Knock, Knock Down the House, um, detailing Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez ascent to the White House. Um, now, in it, she says, you beat a machine with a movement. And I kind of feel like you've been talking about movement for a very long time. I'm curious around what that quote means to you personally. See, I, how do I feel? I, I absolutely, you know, um, get where she's coming from, and I, I really get the idea about about movement. And, and honestly, um, Jen, I think that the the people in the future who will who will succeed are the people that can mobilise. Mm. Um, but also, I'd say, um, you know, do we need to beat the machine? Because um, uh, I think, you know, there's. Like in our system in health and care, you know, we, we need things to be um, to be very organised. You know, if we want to provide high quality, 
safe care for every single patient, then then in a sense, you know, we need we need systems that work really well. We need we need cohesion. You know, we need to we we want to um, you know make sure we don't have unwarranted variation. We want every patient wherever they are in the country to be able to get the the, the right level of care. So we, we need to be really well organised. Okay, and at the same time, we need the diversity. We need the dissent, you know, with the dissension. Um, and again, it comes back to this issue around around balance. Um, like in, in my system, do I think that the movement will be the machine? Um, uh, you know, taking it literally, um, no. But I think that the, 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 the movement can can um, can make a massive difference yeah. in terms of in terms of how the machine operates. So again, I think we need both. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about how long you've spent in the sector and in that type of role. And one of the longevity in change work has really started to emerge as um, uh, a bit of a pain point, I guess, in the profession. So I'm thinking about, um, you know, certainly when I, when I have change practitioners meet now, particularly at the risk of being a bit ageist, those of us who've, who've had 20 years plus in the sector, um, there's a lot of talk around burnout and fatigue and what comes next and disillusionment. I'm curious about um, what, you know, you've been rocking the boat for a long time and I think I've seen the quote, you rock, you've rocked the boat but not fallen out. What's, yeah. what's the secret sauce? What's your thoughts on self-care of an internal change agent? I think this is a really important topic, Jen. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's it's very hard to be a um, a change agent for a a, a a long time, particularly when you're in uh, you know in a in a very big system. And you know, all the time as a change agent, when you're uh, you're challenging the status quo, you're you know you're wanting things to be to be different. I think it's it's very easy to feel um, ostracised, to feel um, uh, you know that you're in a you're in a difficult um, uh, uh, position, um, and and I think you know the whole thing around resilience and self care is is um, is so important. So the first thing I'd say is that you know very often with change agents, you know certainly in the world I'm in, I think that that. It's not so much an issue around um, around burnout. It's an issue of moral distress mm. because um, you know we find ourselves in in situations where you know the things that we believe uh, passionately in and uh, we're asked to to to, um, uh, to to work in ways or to do things that actually we find distressing. Um, you know, with regard to our values and things that we um, that we we really uh, we really believe in, and and I and I think there's a whole load of things that we um, we we have to do. You know, one of the things I'd say is the number one rule of being a change agent is that you can't be a change agent on your own. Yeah. Uh, you know, however like clever or creative, and um, or how however you know good your ideas are, I just think there's this this whole kind of process of like normalization in in organizations that you know um, encourages us to 
um, conform, to comply, you know, to um, to not rock the boat. And and I think you know when I think back around my career, you know, uh, um, in a lot of my career I've been really lucky because I've had line managers who have really supported and championed me and given me the air cover and the space, you know, to um, to do the things I want to do, and and, and uh, you know make the contribution I want to make. Um, but that hasn't always been the case, and not everybody gets a great line manager all the time. So I think you know, like key to this, key to the long longevity of of you know, um, being an internal change agent is around is around togetherness and and linking up with with um, with other people who who you know see the world in the in the same way. Mm. And, and I think there's multiple reasons for this. So some of it is again goes back to what you were saying, Jen, about about social movements and and you know finding like-minded people who. Um, you know, um, I've got the same values, and uh, you know, want to want to make the, um, the same changes. And then I think the other um, aspect of it is um, is just having people to support us and um, and to keep us sane. You know, when when we're doing uh, you know this 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 very difficult work. And I think you know. Um, it's hard to be a change agent, you know. It's um, you know, when we choose to do these choose to do these roles, we don't choose an easy life. And, no. You know, we'll never get the same promotional opportunities as people that do more mainstream um, uh, roles. Um, we'll never get the same gratitude. We'll never get um, recognised in the same kind of way. Um, and it, and it's part of what you what you choose to do. Um, but I think. You know, um, we have to find we have to find places for ourselves in organisations that um, that give us the, the support um, that we need. And, and the second thing I think is that like we have to deliver. Mm. You know, we have to um, be able to show that the kinds of things that we're doing collectively with other people are are making a difference. Because you know, why would we be funded and supported if if um, you know, if we weren't able to um, to do that, so I think you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on around. Um, you know, you can't just talk the talk or or go around and tell people what to do and be an expert. You know, you, ha- you um, I think in my kind of system to be um, you know to be to thrive and survive as a as a change agent, you've got to be out there as a practitioner and um, you know working with other people and delivering and 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 showing outcomes from what you do. Mm. That's key. Yeah, that that ability to actually deliver, um, and I think sometimes that means we really need to scale back what we want to deliver. I think I don't know if you found it, but I find that sometimes having that mindset means we want to see big change and large change, and it's really yeah. expensive. But that's at odds with delivery. Yeah. Do you know one thing I learned, and um, Jen, really early on was the first ever really big change job that I got in the National Health Service was working in a, a hospital in Leicester in, in, the, in the East Midlands of England and it was the biggest change project that had ever been done inside uh, a hospital and it was called the Leicester Royal Infirmary and at, at the time the the approach was, was re-engineering mm-hmm. so the idea of it this was um, in a very short period of time. We we're going to re-engineer this this whole hospital, 
and uh, and it was a really big scale change project that that I was the change leader for. And at any one time, we had up to fifty staff seconded on this pro- on uh, working as part of the Leicester Royal Infirmary Engineering Program. And we had a hundred projects, a hundred change projects happening simultaneously. <laughs> what was interesting was that people didn't judge this change initiative on the fact that there were a hundred change projects happening simultaneously. People couldn't grasp uh, at the breadth of it. What what people took notice of and what people judged us on were one or two really iconic projects. So you know we had we we had a couple of projects that were were really they were small scale but they were revolutionary and so one of these projects for instance was um, how we how we did um, we did patient testing and did it very immediately which was very different to anything that had happened before and people took that idea and and it spread I mean it spread all over Europe and and, and it was impactful all over the world and even though we had a hundred projects you know people people judged us on just the one or two iconic projects. And, and, you know, that's kind of really stayed with me throughout my career. So, you know, what are the one or two things that, you know, that, that, that we can do that will make a, um, a really big difference? Um, and again, it's like, you know, I talked to you about the ambulance project and um, uh, project A, you know, it, um, you know, where we're at with that is, is doing a very, is doing a small number of things, but wanting to do them, wanting to do them really well. And, yeah. and it can still be large scale. You know, because what we're trying, so we've got a project around um, around how ambulance staff re- uh, respond to, to patients who fall. So it's got a narrow focus, mm. but in a sense, we're, we're working with every ambulance service in the in the whole country. And up to 20% of all calls to the ambulance service are people that fall. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a narrow focus, yeah. but the opportunity to make, make a difference to people across the whole country really high impact really yeah i hope hope so yeah yeah brilliant brilliant um off on a different tangent one of the things that's been um that's been bugging me at the moment is this emphasis or this industry around the concept of psychological safety and i'm kind of i'm pondering how how did this become such a thing, something that is a fundamental thing that we should have in organisations that, that we feel comfortable to voice? And it's become a thing. It's a real thing, like um, with a capital T there. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to, to what you're finding um, or what your thoughts are as to how have we become this industry which now has people telling others how to are telling leaders how to create psychological safety why what's going on yeah i think it's an interesting one jen so i mean i'm a big fan of of psychological safety um i guess you know what, what i would say is that you know if we if we want to make really big change happen um, in our organizations and systems then you know we uh, we, we need diversity we need and people with different backgrounds and people with um, with different experiences, who um, you know, who can who can come together and see the world in um, in you know uh, in, in very different ways and and uh, and challenge each other. And 
you know, we can only really um, value the difference that we need if if we can create the kind of uh, the kind of psychological that safety, the um, ability for people to um, to work together to um, to respect um, difference, to feel um, to feel supported uh, by each other. Mm. So, so I'd say that in terms of um, my change practice, um, you know, how we create psychological safety, how we create spaces where very different people can can come together and enable and um, change together, I think is 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 really important. And um, so, I think you know, we can talk about um, psychological safety in lots of different contexts. So, I think there's there's psychological safety in a in a team yeah. and there's psychological safety in a change project and I think the two are related but but slightly different so tell, tell me more about that so so psychological safety in a team is about you know wanting to create wanting to create a, a, a team of people where everybody covers everybody else's back where people feel um, able in that team to say the things they need to say knowing that they're not going to be ridiculed or or criticized by other people and I think that again um you know when I think about teams that I've operated in and been part of actually having having teams um that feel like that I think is is really important and you know having having the kind of leaders that um that create psychological safety in their teams so you know, um, uh, leaders who operate in ways that are very authentic and very uh, and very respectful, and um, uh, you know, wanting to develop and support um, everybody and, and and valuing difference, I think is 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 really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the context of um, of change initiatives, because we we are you know very often. Um, you know, bringing to get together, um, you know, very very different groups of uh, of people to contribute to change. So in my world, you know, um, one of the I think one of the biggest and best things that's happened is we're we're focusing um, we're focusing so much more on on co co production mm-hmm. and and, uh, and co creation. So. Um, you know how we work with with patients and families and frontline staff to um, you know to, to redesign care. I think is, is really important, and and how we create psychological safety in that context is 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 a little bit different. I think mm. so. You know, if we're if we're doing um, if we're doing some co-design or co-production where we're designing a new pathway of care. And we're doing that with with patients and families and frontline staff as well as experts and leaders. How do we create, you know, a very safe environment where um, where where people who feel you know they they've got um, less formal power or less expertise mm. feel that actually have got you know lived experience um, and and you know a different kind of contribution. How 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 we as um, change leaders and facilitators can create the conditions where where everybody you know f- uh, feels safe and and I'd say that the like the first step in that is you know we talk about three words which is our shared purpose mm-hmm. so 
you know, starting off with the hour and, and often having a, a, you know, you know, thinking about the hour, which is, you know, people who will be um, impacted by the change, people that need to contribute to the change, but, but like really understanding like who are our people as a, as a first question. Mm. And, and then we think about the shared, which is, you know, there are many things about us that are different, but what are the things that unite us? collectively and then we have the, the the purpose like what's this really all about you know what are we really trying to achieve here at a level that connects with our values and things that really matter to us um uh in the world um and it, it you know what strikes me is that um any kind of change that we're, we're, we're trying to do particularly with a broad community of people we have to start with our shared purpose yeah and and actually creating a, a safe space for doing that and really strong psychological safety and uh, and doing that you know creating that as a as a um, change facilitator I think is very very important nice and I think that gives people I think what you've articulated there so there's two things that I pull out of that is we've let go of a focus on diversity and that's created an environment that has not made it safe for others who are different Mm -hmm. um but two, our avenue into how to build that is those three words and really focusing yes. on that. Yes. Um, which is really quite elegant and I do like that. Yes. And you know, what I'd also say, Jen, about that is when I look back at my change practice and how it's different now, I think one of the absolute key things that is, that is different now is, is that focus on starting with shared purpose and putting mm. a lot of effort and energy into doing that and mm. you know in it previously because like my training and my background is in classic kind of improvement methodology and improvement science you know we'd start with an improvement aim and, and an improvement aim is really important but actually we have to go upstream of that because if we don't bring our community or our collective of people together who are going to be impacted by the change and create a really strong sense of shared purpose, then, um, uh, you know, we don't create the conditions for, 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 for large-scale change. Yeah, fantastic. Um, one of the things that I've found in working with leaders around change leadership um, is that change has to happen within before we can look to changing outside in the organisation. Um, and so it's this really interesting crossover space between personal and professional development. What's your take on that? What's, what are you seeing in, in your space? So, again, one of the very big shifts that I'm seeing in the, um, my sector and the world I'm operating in is, is a is a shift from what I would call independent leadership to interdependent. And, you know, until recently, um, if we're thinking about change in health and care, we would be talking about, say, an individual and hospital or hospital system or a mental health service and about independent leaders who made their organisation the best that it, that it could be. Okay. So, so it was independent, you know, in the sense that I'm the leader of this organisation and, and my, my role or my mission is to make this organisation as good as it can be. You know, one of the, the very big 
shifts that we're seeing is, is to work interdependently. So it's no longer enough to have a very good hospital or a very good primary uh, healthcare centre or a very good mental health facility. You know, actually, if we start from our patients and people and families and communities and what they need, they don't just need a hospital, they don't just need a mental health facility. Actually, it's about a, a joined up, connected healthcare system that that gives people, um, you know, the, um, uh, the things that, that they need when they need it, um, you know, across, um, across sectors. So, you know, the very big shifts in the seeing this around the world, um, in, in the world of, of health and care, is what we're calling integrated care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've had, you know, a primary healthcare sector and a, and a hospital sector and a mental health sector. And, um, and what's happening more and more now is that they're coming together um, in, in, um, in integrated ways. So it, it basically means that our, um, our senior leaders have to work interdependently. And when we talk about interdependent, we mean, you know, I've still got to achieve my own goals for my organisation, but um, we need to take, we need to be system leaders and we need to be working with other um, senior leaders. And there, there can't be, you know, winners and losers, actually. When we think about our population and our health system, um, you know, we have to create ways for us to be, to be winners together. So the kind of leadership that we need in an interdependent system, I think, is, is much more mature mm. than the kind of leadership that we need in an independent, you know, to be an independent um, uh, leader. And, you know, it's about the kind of leaders that can, you know, work collectively with others on a, um, you know, for bigger goals that can see, you know, um, uh, you know are comfortable working with paradox and uh, and uh, and complexity that are are trying to create win-win all the time rather than than, um, than than winners and losers. So, in a sense, I think it's the difference between being. Um, uh, you know, it's talked about the Arbinger Institute. Talk about the difference between an, an outward mindset and an inward mindset. And an inward mindset means, you know, I've got to um, protect the interests of my organisation and and, uh, and and my system. And and even though I'm collaborating with other people, I start from that place. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, an outward mindset means actually I'm understanding that. You know, I have to stand in the shoes of other people and I have to understand where they're coming from. And I have to find ways that we can you know, collaborate and, 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 and work together. And I think it's a, um, it's a more, you know, having this outward mindset, I think, is, is certainly in my world. It, it's, it's where we're going um, as, um, as leaders. Um, and it's about me and how I operate in the world. And it's about relationships. It's about about it's about trust it's about authenticity mm-hmm. and and so I think you know change does have to um to start with me change isn't isn't like something that's you know happening out there in an external environment it's about how how I as a leader operate in the world how I connect and build relationships um with others you know sometimes we say um, systems leadership can only happen at the speed of trust <laughs> so I think you know, in, increasingly we're in a world 
that is about that is about connection that is about relationships that is about uh, is about values um, it's about um, uh, you know um, taking people um, with us um, um, you know thinking that thinking the best of people so I don't think you know when we talk about large-scale transformational change that we can separate the the personal and the system yeah I think that absolutely and um, they're absolutely interconnected so picking up on that theme and I, I love the articulation of what you've brought out there um I'm going to invite you to do word association so one word for each word I okay. can are you ready I am okay courage um uh, constant empathy Critical. Vulnerability. Every day. Curiosity. Uh, creative. Self-compassion. Resilience. Beautiful. They they were what I was interested in. Helen, getting getting close to finishing this up and what I'm really taken by is how often, um, how often you, you give to the community, how often you talk up other people, how it's your team, it's our, or, you know, and, and I don't know whether that's um, a British self-effacing theme or whether that's your personal style, but I'm really, um, I'm really keen to hear what you are most proud of personally in your career. What you want to own so and take credit? I'm, 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 um, I'm proud of lots of things. Um, if I was to pick pick a particular um, project that I'm really proud of, um, it's it's a project that I worked on that was about people um, living with dementia and being given um, antipsychotic drugs that was inappropriate and you know when you think about people living with dementia about about 90 percent of people living with dementia uh, at various points have got behavioral and psychological issues and you know we had a we had a scenario in england where about 180,000 people uh, a year living with dementia were being given really powerful antipsychotic drugs that were absolutely not designed for people with dementia and of those 180,000, only about 32,000 people should have been on those drugs. And um, and my team, we led a, a nationwide social movement. You know, I mean, worked with so many um, different groups and amazing people around this. And we worked with a, a community organisation called the Dementia Action Alliance. And what happened within three years was that we had a 51% reduction in antipsychotic prescribing for you know people living with dementia which I thought was um was pretty amazing and and you know one of the reasons I feel um really proud of that was because um my my godmother had vascular dementia and she was given um antipsychotic drugs um for uh, for about three years mm. so, you know living with dementia 
future. And at the time, I just thought, you know, it's it's how it is. And um, and when I got involved in the work around people living with dementia with antipsychotic drugs, and I I kind of the, the penny dropped for me. I realised what was happening, and it made me it made me really angry. So mm-hmm. so it's a kind of personal thing, and um, you know, this is my auntie Joyce, and I just thought, um, I know I feel really proud that uh, you know my contribution amongst amongst many has has just stopped you know so many other people living with dementia who are actually capable of you know a good quality of life and to to have that life instead of sitting like a zombie in a chair which is what the reality was for my auntie Joyce so so yeah that's what I feel proud of. That's wonderful that's wonderful. Um, Helen this has been um, such a joy to talk with you and you know, I personally have learnt from this conversation for which I'm really grateful. I'm incredibly grateful for the work that you do. How how can the listeners help you going forward? What would you like to ask of the listenership? So um, I would say, Jen, that um, like be in the community. So, you know, um, it's like how I met you, actually, yeah. Is being part of this this wonderful community of change agents who you know contribute and support each other and learn from each other on on social media, you know, um, come and come and be be um, be part of this uh, this community, and um, and I love to um, to curate and learn about like you do actually, you know, um, new information and um, you know. Uh, uh, new practices, new experiences. So, um, uh, you know, um, uh, if you're not doing that already, um, yeah, come and come and be part of that um, that community, so that we can help and we can learn from each other and um, and accelerate change. So, in terms of how um, I I interact with you a lot on Twitter, is is are there other ways that people can be part of that community? Um, so I think one of the one of the key ways is is um, is through social media, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I'd say you know if you're not following me already, and um, I would love you to follow me, which is um, at Helen Bevan, and um, uh, and again if you you know if you want me to follow you, um, just um, just kind of reach out to me, and I'll make sure um, I'll uh, you know um, make sure that I am, and. Um, uh, I mean, I think you know. There's 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 lots of other ways through um, through blogs, through um, you know um, you know listening to, um, to to podcasts like um, the, the wonderful Conversations for Change. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and you know, I'd say and um, just connect, just be, be part of the movement. Perfect, Helen Bevan. Thank you so much for this change chat. It's been brilliant. Thank you, Jen. You've been listening to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram. You can find many more resources on leading change at my website, drjenfram.com. I welcome feedback on what else you'd like to hear on the podcast. Why not connect with me on Twitter at Jen Fram or LinkedIn? 